I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about VIP passes. <laughs> all about... <laughs> I don't mean to go on. <laughs> I don't know how to extend it, but I'm still enjoying it from last week. Listen, we're, it's just before the weekend away, as we know. We're recording mm. this. And um, we, we didn't sell VIP passes, which I think we both now would acknowledge was a mistake because in the future true, we, will, we will add VIP passes on and people can pay to slap, slap us. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I mean, frankly, people on the weekend could just dosh a bit more money and slap us anyway. They could. Hopefully they won't hear this till after it anyway. So they won't yeah, they may listen to it during. Oh, that would be keen, wouldn't it? Yeah, too keen. Welcome everyone to episode 175, 175 of the Mid-Faith Crisis Podcast. My name is Nick Page and there, Mm. the tiny little screen is Joe Davis. The tiny little Joe Davis. (laughs) so hey right we should start with the big news shouldn't we there is some very big news to announce get ready go on then listeners because there's action to be taken here so i found out quite by accident this week (laughs) (laughs) that uh lee abbey the long-awaited lee abbey stay uh which we are doing next year when is it from june the 6th to the 10th i think that's 2022. You can book spaces um, for that now. And I suspect they will go quickly because people are desperate and they love a holiday in June. So um, we'll talk about VIP passes and how that will work nearer the well, time. The Abbey. Yeah, <laughs> the Abbey. Absolutely. But for now. Now, listen, I'm not going to lie. They've, the prices have gone up, but they're a community of people. Um, and, you know, they're providing full board for... Well, near enough, four days, because it's Monday to Friday. I think we go after Mm. breakfast on the Friday, as I remember. Anyway, uh, so we would love to see you there. The deal with Lee Abbey, I mean, obviously, Snowdraw coming to listen to Nick and I prattle on, but it is in the most beautiful place in North Devon. It is a real retreat place. Uh, The wildlife, the scenery is just extraordinary. And we would love to meet you there. So, um, you know, if you're around... Uh, book early to avoid disappointment, I would say. I don't think you'll avoid disappointment if you book. No, no. Given <laughs> that you're coming to hear us. <laughs> book early to engage with disappointment. <laughs> book, or, book early to pay for some high quality disappointment <laughs> in lovely surroundings. That's exactly. That's, that's the catchphrase. Thank if you're you. Gonna be, I mean, you're going to be disappointed by life anyway. So you might as well be disappointed in a really beautiful part of the world. And pay a lot of money for it. Yeah, so booking is open. Yes, uh, you could do it online at Lee Abbey or you can bring them, I think. that's Those is your options. Those is your options. Yeah, all right. They're even talking uh, like yes. a Lee abbey Use your <laughs> online booking machine. Device. Yes, whatever you... <laughs> yeah, great. So that's exciting. Um, it is exciting because it's something to look forward to through the long, dark winter, the hope of June and summer and being there yeah perfect yeah but you know what i thought about the other day i thought actually we're two-thirds of the way through autumn 
Are we? Yeah, September, October. Oh, OK. Yeah, OK. November. I see, I see so what you're saying. So then you've only got winter to get through and it's spring again. OK, good good thought. Well done. I'm just trying to be positive. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So we're none of the way through winter. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you choose to put that rather depressing spin on it. That's fine. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a glass... I'm being a glass half full guy for once. You know me. Oh, that is good. Oh, well, I, yeah. I welcome this transition. <laughs> well, it's only momentary because now it's the rest of the show. So I'm quite depressed. OK, oh, well. moving on. Yeah. Uh, how are you? Anyway, how are you? Well, I... You know, as always, mixed, but good. Um, last weekend, unexpectedly, really, mm-hmm. I benefited from a friend's misfortune. She broke her leg. Uh, she bought <laughs> she bought tickets to go and see Harry Potter, so she didn't go to Harry Potter. Aww. And Rachel and I ended up taking her and her boyfriend's tickets. So that was fantastic for us. <laughs> less so yes. for her. Yes, less so And she she had them upgraded several times due to COVID and cancellations and things like that. So they were really good seats. Oh so, no. Which she oh, won't no. be able to afford again. <laughs> so all right. Anyway, so that's great. Have you seen have you seen the cursed child? Have you seen that? Uh, no. Oh well, it's 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 wonderful. I, I mean, I I will say nothing more. It's just wonderful. It's life affirming. You know, extraordinary magic before your eyes, and the Death Eaters mm. are incredible. And yeah, do, do I mean Death Eaters or Dementors? Mm. Anyway, those things, creaturey things. But dementors. Su- dementors. That's the word. Anyway, that suck suck your soul out. That kind of stuff. Anyway, mm. it's all it's all magical and wonderful. And so that was a very lovely, unexpected treat. You'd be impressed. I'm off to, I'm off to uh, a cathedral tonight, Chichester Cathedral. I know. Oh, get... Is that another? Is that another friend who's injured themselves and no, a ticket? No, no one was harmed in the buy- purchasing of these tickets. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to something called the Museum of the Moon. Have you heard about this? Yes, I have. Ah, so it's they... the enormous moon thing that it's... hangs. It's doing a tour of cathedrals. It is. Yes. So I'm going to see an enormous moon thing. Uh... <laughs> Insert your own joke here. I know there's a very obvious liturgical action to do there, which I won't. <laughs> Because <laughs> I don't want to be arrested again. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, they play ambient music. It's in a cathedral. It's atmosphere. I mean, what's Yo, not to love about it? And it's a, it's a little soul place outing. So that's very exciting. So the cult See, meets yeah. in the cathedral tonight. So that's quite exciting. Very good. Very good. Other than that, life, yeah. is, life is hard with... I've not had lots of work on, but the work I've had, I think I alluded to, has been very hard. So I've just mm. got in from doing a funeral for a, a wonderful 13-year-old lad who... Sadly, was born with a condition that meant he wasn't going to live a full life. Um, but he made such an extraordinary uh, mark on people's lives. He was just a bundle of joy and love and affection. And it was an extraordinary uh, thing to behold. And in, um, tomorrow, I'm doing a service for a 22-year-old lad who is a bit like... I don't even remember the um, Euros, but Christian Eriksen um, mm. had a cardiac arrest on the pitch. Well, this, mm. this guy just literally healthy young lad just just dropped dead and it's an undiagnosed heart condition so you know there's it's so shocking and Mm. so down and the weight of the grief is so heavy um Mm. yeah it's 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 hard so i i managed to to sneak 20 minutes on the beach before we came to record today just to sort of um metaphorically shout if not literally shout for a while and Mm. breathe and yeah, breathe it all in. So, you know, 
that's life, isn't it? A, a mix of you feel people's pain and you feel so privileged to be alive. And yeah, there we go. Mm. Anyway, that's me. And I'm really looking forward to seeing beloved listeners tomorrow, mm. in fact. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And you, in fact. And how are you? Well, it's, I mean, similar. I'm, I'm not quite the intense emotional stuff that you've mm. got. It's very, I'm very busy, very snowed under. I just don't seem to be doing anything except reading and writing at the moment, which I suppose in a normal way would be my ideal uh, way of passing the mm. time, but it's a bit pressurised. But I do feel similarly. I mean, people are... I'm just aware of so many friends who are really stressed mm. and really on the edge. Yeah. Um, particularly those in the medical profession, uh, yeah. you know, thinking about them today, who are just... Yeah. Absolutely at their wits' end, and all they get is a hammering from oh yeah you know, the media, media and government. It's completely unfair and unjust and unwarranted, and mm. uh, I, I, yeah. you know, I just feel so uh, for them. You know, I don't really have mm. anything to complain no, about compared no. to what they're having to do. No, I do, and we're only two thirds of the way through autumn, so it's not good to be for them to be pretty much at full stretch at That's this true, stage. Yes. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. So. Yep. So um, other than that, yeah, just very, very busy and uh, just keeping on going, really. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't hang about. How's no. your Enneagram weekend? Oh, doing, thank planning? you. Oh, yes, thank you very much. Yes, it's good. I mean, we we want to do it in the house. We want to keep it small. I think we've still got one, maybe two places. So this is with our dear friend Alison, uh, who is an Enneagram trainer, and um, and she's doing this. This the idea was to do a day devoted to type one, and whether that's uh, you are a type one, which is the perfectionist, or whether you're a kind of nine or a two, in which case you have a perfectionist wing, or whether you go there in stress. People who don't know the Enneagram will have no idea what I'm talking about, so no. I'm, I'm not going to labour this point. But we've got one or two places uh, where we just want to do it in our house. We're throwing out free. If you can make a donation, that'd be great. But you know, don't stress about it. We would love love to see you. So if that if you think that's something you might be interested in, still a couple of places. Uh, we'll, we'll run it for sort of ten till four p.m. and that's in Worthing, mm. in England. Yes, <laughs> thank you for clarifying that. Hey, talking of personality types, very quickly. One mm. of the things that did happen to me last week was I found out all my thirty-four strengths. Do you know strengths? Oh finders? yes. Right. So you know, with strengths finding, you do, you get your top five. Yes, indeed. And that's what you're really good at. Those are your strengths. But you can also access your complete list can and you? find out which are the worst ones. Yeah, I think there's an extra fee involved, but, you oh. know. So I actually found out what I am really, really bad at. Oh, great. I, I mean, I could have told you that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's a very exhaustive list to have, to have written down. <laughs> Turns out harmony is not a good thing for me. Turns out <laughs> I'm not very good at creating harmony. It's... It's very low on the list. Is that right? Because I was <laughs> yeah. going to put your name forward for Hillsong when they do their kind of leadership training oh, yeah, around yeah. harmony. Oh, well, exactly. <laughs> I don't think it means musical harmony. I'm quite good at that. <laughs> uh, turns out I'm not very good at bringing that. Anyway, there we go. Um, anyway, we should get on with the show. And uh, we have an interview this week. With Matt Hyam. Uh, tell us a little bit about this then, Joe. Well, I will. Uh, Matt Hyam was the uh, leader at Vineyard Church in um, in Southampton. In fact, the founder of it, I think. Um, although I never got to meet him because he, he'd taken time out by the time we were preaching there, as you may remember. Um, 
But Matt's got an extraordinary story and he's just written this amazing book uh, that is so on target for um, the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast. And it's called There Must Be More to This, uh, Reimagining Evangelical Faith with Justice at the Core. And um, and someone said, you've got to read this. And I read it. I took it away on holiday, read it, really loved it and thought, this guy's going to be great to interview. So he's got something to say. It's a great book. I'll say no more than that. But this is uh, Matt Hyam and I chatting about his latest book. Well, I'm delighted to welcome to the Mid-Faith Crisis, uh, Matt Hyam. Uh, hi, Matt. Welcome. Hi. It's so good to have you here. Now, for those that don't know you, uh, Matt has just written a book called There Must Be More Than This, Reimagining Evangelical Faith with Justice at the Core. I took the book away, read it on holiday, loved it and just, you know, could not help but think uh, how much our listeners are going to love this. So, uh, Matt, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, it's great so uh first of all for those who perhaps don't know know you do you what, just want to introduce yourself a bit sure yeah so i live in southampton i'm married to georgina i've got four boys 17 down to four um and i started a church 29 years ago which disintegrated into southampton vineyard church um <laughs> I um, just over a month ago, I stepped down from leading the church, having had a year of uh, being off, uh, well, for, for some time being off, off with stress and then just realizing I didn't really have the heart to do it anymore. So I handed mm. it on to Joe and Con and they're doing a fantastic job. Yeah. Um, for about 20 years of that time, I've uh, been asking awkward questions that have got me into lots of trouble <laughs> and um made my career go in a very rapid downward spiral <laughs> well let me say first of all i love that church con speaks extremely highly of you as does everyone else as you know and i know uh, you've got friends there uh, which is great uh, we have other friends in common stuart murray for example yes. uh, who is a, a, a dear if you know disruptive yeah. man <laughs> stuart was the one who started the whole journey for me of asking questions and completely ruined my life and career yeah. I owe him everything. <laughs> he will do that to you, that yeah. man. So he was my tutor when I was at Spurgeon's okay. uh, back in the late 18th century. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. But, you know, seriously, I really do think people will love this book. So why why have you written this book? Why now? What were you noticing in pastoral ministry? What led up to this? Um, so I, I uh, started a master's in 2016. And I think the more I studied, the more things just didn't seem to add up that I'd been told. And mm. so over the last kind of five years, I've done a, 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 been processing an awful lot of stuff. So for me, um, I was no longer working for the church. So I just sat down and started processing stuff. I took some of my essays and changed them and, and some of the uh, blogs that I'd written and just wanted to uh, process it was uh, originally I wanted to call it uh, confessions of a recovering evangelical, but was advised <laughs> against it. Um, and, uh, and actually it began to take a shape that I hadn't necessarily anticipated when I started. Yeah. Um, but it was more, it wasn't so, suddenly, I've just suddenly started noticing stuff. It was stuff that over the last five years, um, or more the more I've studied the more things just didn't work mm. Mm. so what have you seen as sort of having gone wrong with evangelicalism because I must say this is not an evangelical bashing book in any way no. I mean you you say at one point in it you know I'm still an evangelical I'm proud to be it just 
kind of needed reformation. Yeah. So where, where did it go wrong? Where did it go wrong? <laughs> um, I mean, to be honest, I, I think that there's obviously you can point at any part of the church and see lots of problems. And, and I'm speaking from within the evangelical church, just from my whole life within the evangelical church. Hmm. But the more I studied, the more I couldn't see a way of evangelical theology actually working. It just didn't make sense. I mean, you, you can't find an evangelical statement of faith that anyone before Calvin could have signed. Now, that really should cause us to ask a few questions. <laughs> that that, what, was the church completely wrong for the first 1500 years? Or, or do we as evangelicals have to learn something from it? So there was a number of questions there. I, I, uh, I saw a quote from a, a well-known evangelical website in America saying how, you know, we mustn't be looking at new ideas. We should be looking at the ancient things. And then a quote from one of the main contributors to that website saying how we, we know Jesus better now than the early church fathers could ever have done. Wow. The New <laughs> Testament saved them from heresy. <laughs> I mean, it's just beyond belief. So, so I think <laughs> I, what I found a lot was that there's a huge discontinuity between the theology of the early church and Protestantism, but particularly evangelicalism. And I would say that the biggest concern i have is is i mean it didn't occur to me up until probably five or six years ago that we weren't the only real christians yeah you know you kind of yeah. brought up as an evangelical thinking this is true christianity and everyone else is just paying lip service to it yeah. and then you realize that actually we're what 20 percent, 10 20 percent of the church yeah and uh, we might have something to learn from everyone else particularly as they have a more historic faith yeah. So there's quite a few things there, but I, I think it's the exclusivism and the discontinuity. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. it really, it really struck me in that first part of the, and, and your book is, 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 um, is split into three distinct parts. Yeah. I, I know I don't need to tell you this is for the sake of this. Oh, sure. <laughs> so let me tell you all about your book. Matt. I, just that. <laughs> but, but, you I was know, hoping what, you were. Yeah. One of the things that struck me in that first part was, you, you know, exactly what you were saying there, that the, the creeds were actually far more inclusive and therefore yeah. far more unifying than yeah. statements of faith now. And actually, in order to, you know, speak in some Christian events now or appear on radios or whatever it happens to be, you would actually have to compromise your own yeah. convictions and therefore be seen by that group as not being a Christian even. Yeah. That is yeah. an extraordinary that's, that's state it. of affairs. A very good, a very good friend of mine, um, uh, Steve Bernhope, he, uh, he did a load of research into evangelical statements of faith over the last 150 years and and the contradiction between them is astonishing i mean faith, statements from 150 years ago those people would consider the ones today to be heretical and vice mm. versa mm. it's just um it is terrifying and and as you say i mean the the nicene creed and this is where stuart and i disagree with his anabaptism mm. yeah but, sure um the, the nicene creed was meant to be a unifying statement it was meant to be a statement of this is that this is what we all agree on yeah. whereas statements of faith in the evangelical church are meant to be drawing a line to show who's in and out which is the exact sure. purpose yeah yeah fascinating and of course in that first part you also you also have a little play with our old friend original sin um, and we have talked yeah. about that a fair bit on this podcast but oh, my goodness you quote you quote um uh, 
John Piper, Jesus was primarily an object of his father's wrath. Astonishing. Did he really say that? I mean, do people really Yeah, yeah, it was on that? his website. He did. Wow. I mean, that's astonishing because that, that statement implies that Jesus only exists because we sinned. Yeah. Yeah, I, if, I, if yeah. we didn't sin, there would be no need for Jesus, which gets very close to suggesting that Jesus was created. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, of course. I mean, it it's does. absolutely astonishing. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think another another sort of thorny issue you you drew attention to in that book was about you know this idea of is the Bible flat? You know, does does love your love neighbor? Your uh, carry the same level of weight as do not sow your field with two kinds of seed or wear mixed fibers <laughs> in your shirt. And yeah, I mean, I, it causes me to laugh that anyone could think that. But of course, once you have this kind of bibliolatry that goes on, where yeah. no, you cannot play, it's all the word of God, don't you mess with it, let's mm. believe it all, we can't pick and choose what we believe. You you are in effect giving it all the same oh, for sure. way. And, and 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 the problems that will create for you as you try to live your life, I think. Oh, I mean, it's just a, but I mean, I've literally just finished reading a book by uh, Brad Jersak, who mm. he was my supervisor for my MA, and he's a mm. real mentor. And he's just written a book called yeah. A More Christ-like Word. Um, and right. it's essentially how the early church read the scriptures. But you know, he he makes a big point of Jesus is the word of God. The only thing the Bible calls the word of God is Jesus. Hmm. And so actually, you know, the, the word of God is inerrant and infallible and inspired. And when he was 18, he grew a beard. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. so, you know, we understand the scriptures through the word of God. Yeah. And so, you know, we have to start with Jesus and it makes sense of everything else. Oh, and goodness. So, not you're, the other way around. You're reminding me of my Spurgeon's essays on how we had to <laughs> say the word of God was a spoken word and a written word and Jesus oh. and somehow find some way of, you know, marrying those all together neatly in a, a way that would get you a pass. <laughs> yeah, well. I'm so glad I don't have to do that now. <laughs> mm. but, but I mean, having laid and I suppose a lot of us have been on that deconstruction journey all of us yes let, let me say who listen to this how would you describe let's let's get positive how would you describe what the invitation of the gospel is or of the kingdom oh, of God? Yeah. You know, what what actually is the gospel let's just get, kind of get clear on that <laughs> okay so um i mean in the synoptics uh it, what the, the gospel is uh, so matthew mark and, and luke it's you know the kingdom of heaven is the rule of god is here and the invitation to to come under his rule um, John um, uses different language. He talks about eternal life. Now, this is one of the, the phrases that's so mistranslated by our friend Augustine, who mm. didn't speak any Greek and translated the word aeonius to mean everlasting. Mm. There was a Greek word for everlasting, but it wasn't that. It was aeodius. Mm. And so it, it became everlasting life. And even worse, it became life after death. Yeah. Whereas actually, um, if you, uh, David Bentley Hart and Tom Wright's translation New Testament, they, they translate it as life of the age to come. So this invitation to, mm -hmm. to experience life of the age to come. So if we took John 3.16 as the, as the synopsis of the gospel, um, mm -hmm. the, the invitation is, is one of, you know, to be. So the word perish there is, is past tense. It's not if you choose option A, you have life. If you choose, well. 
you will have life eventually. If you choose option B, you die. It's like you're dying. You're, you're lost. You're perishing. And I am offering you life now. Hmm. In, in, this, in the synoptics, is I'm off, you know, come into the kingdom. This is what it looks like in the Sermon of Mount. So, so I think it, it's an invitation to, to us to, to experience real life that, that, that is, and, and again, in John 3 16, the have life is, is present tense, not future tense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you, you will no longer perish past tense, but will have life present tense. Mm-hmm. So, for me, the invitation is an invitation to life out of out of something that is just ultimately killing sure, sure. and here and now and today and and then yeah. you quote uh, a dear mentor of mine dallas willard so yeah, he's not yeah. with us anymore but you know and the, this old idea of you know well a bit like that piper quote jesus has come to solve a problem right uh, yeah. the problem is sin and and here's the neat package here's the gospel we can yeah. deal with your sin Nothing about life everlasting, nothing about how we treat people, nothing about discipleship, nothing about following you. It's just no. like, here's the thing. Say this, sign this insurance document, and you've yeah. got it when you die. And that's that was the kind of very much the old way of yeah. Of, and of that thinking. was um so my MA thesis um is, is published called Life After Death, which which I wrote. Uh, the, uh, uh, I don't know if you've come across Brad Jersey, but he, he wrote yeah. a really fantastic, but her, uh, her gates will never be shut. And at the end of it, he said that um, he, he was most troubled by evangelical Christians saying to him, if it wasn't for hell, they wouldn't be a Christian. Yeah. He yeah. said it betrays, number one, a fear of hedonism. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, it's like my faith is based on fear, but also a jealousy of hedonism. That actually, yeah, yeah, you exactly know, I've right. become a Christian because I'm scared. Actually, I'd much rather be living like that. And, yeah. and if that's the case, you've missed the whole point of the yeah. invitation absolutely dallas again he used to say he used to say if you think there is a better way to live yeah. your life he said jesus would encourage you to do it yeah. <laughs> yeah. because he's the master of life he knew how to live so yeah. you know he'd want you to have the best for your life that's how much he cares for you once yeah and yeah and, you know i i don't i i hate i'd hate it to sound as i'm saying you know when I, when you become a Christian, everything's wonderful because it isn't. You know, I, I was widowed nine years ago and left as a single parent with three kids. It's not all wonderful, but I I don't know how I could have lived through that without him. Mm. Um, and you know, I, we we work with some churches and orphanages in India, and I remember the first time we went out there. Uh, it was I mean, it was an amazing time. We saw mm. uh, a blind. We saw a guy who was blind with his eyes open we saw um amazing i think everyone on the team prayed for at least one person who was here there was one instant my brother was, my brother was praying for this guy and uh, you got to work through translators and uh he, you know halfway through he says what's going on and the guy just got up and walked out and he said to the translator what's happening there he said oh we couldn't walk before um, so you know we saw these kind of miracles but if you spoke to anyone who was on that team they would say to you that what impacted the most were the children in the orphanage and for me, I saw what life of the age to come looked like in them. They had nothing. Mm. They'd probably be dead if they weren't there. And yet they had complete satisfaction with their life. And I came away, and we all came away mm. jealous of these kids. That's extraordinary. And I thought, that's yeah. what life of the age to come looks like. Complete yeah. satisfaction regardless of circumstance. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, that's a great segue into the other question I wanted to ask you, which is the last part of the book is really, and, and indeed the um, 
the sort of subtitle of your book is reimagining evangelical faith with justice at the core. You, yeah. you really want to discover this kind of almost lost element. So why this emphasis on justice? Where do you see that? Why, why do you see that as so foundational? I think my, my whole journey towards deconstructionism is probably quite different from a lot of people. For me, it, it's the, as I've studied, it's not added up. I haven't gone I haven't actually gone through, well, I've gone through crises, but it's not that that's made me question. But it's, it's, but the more I've studied, the more I, I studied with my MA, the more I couldn't get away from that justice was right in the middle of it all. Mm. Um, you know, I spent time studying Deuteronomy, which is kind of the manifesto for, for Israel. And you realize this astonishing system of social justice that, mm. that is um, right through it. And actually the primary... Uh, thing about it. and when you understand that the word in in Hebrew for justice means um, a system of of fairness and treating mm. people well, it, you suddenly start it starts to open up everything, and you see that that you know God says at the beginning of Deuteronomy, people will look at the, uh, Israel and see how righteous your laws are, and righteous means to treat people fairly. Justice mm. is a system of righteousness, and so you realize actually that is right front and center of everything. And then you start tracing it through and you see, um, I started looking at the healings uh, in, in, uh, in the gospels and realizing it was all bringing people out from the margins to the center. It was all reopening access to God again for people. And it was just, mm. um, and then I was reading uh, Douglas Campbell's book, uh, Paul, uh, Pauline dogmatics mm. Um which it just it was amazing talking about that in the early church and how it was so central and it just the more i looked at it, it's like this is a central theme when you get away from pray this prayer and you'll go to heaven when you die mm. and and you you start to see something else emerging for me that's what it was yeah yeah i mean you know jesus as we all know distills distills everything down to love the lord your god with all your heart and love yeah. your neighbor as yourself and it seems to me that justice is just what love looks like. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just a great way of understanding it because love's a love's a difficult word, isn't it? What on earth it's, does love mean? And well, I, think, yeah. I think if we can just say, well, on a social level, it looks like justice. That's it. You know, let's just yeah, work work with that definition, and then we now we know how the divine wants us to be with one another. Um, yeah, and and I think I think again, one of the themes that comes through this is is you know whether you're talking about the creeds and the inclusiveness of the creeds and the mm. implicit unity there, whether you're talking about the gospel itself, whether you're talking about social justice, you know, that that word inclusion seems to come through loud and there's no getting yeah. away that there's something about the essence of the kingdom of God, which Absolutely. is, it's here for everyone. We ought not to make it difficult for people to access. hundred percent. And I, th I think we, uh, we miss a lot of Paul's teaching because of the cultural difference and we, the, the culture was so um, layered and so set and yet the church that Paul wrote to was so radically different from that and the theme in all of his letters is unity now it's not just be nice to one another and agree with different views it's like it's unity between noblemen and their slaves it's unity between men and women and greeks and jews and, and so all of these it's all about inclusivity unity in that paul is talking about is inclusion mm. 
And that's a very controversial term because, you know, we don't mm. want to be including those sinners in our in our churches because they may pollute us. Well, <laughs> yeah, that, that that certainly didn't go well for Jesus, did it? <laughs> it really didn't. And, it, you know, I mean, we all think of who the modern day people are. We exclude from churches or for whatever or the modern day lepers or whatever, however you want to uh, think of it. Um, have, and how is that how is that shaken down for you in church ministry you know i know you're not in church ministry now but when you were what what sort of themes does that look like and what as you have lived into this new understanding what have been the sort of blockages and roadblocks that you've come across for people uh i, I think probably the whole lgbtq issue is a really big thing mm. um you know it's never sat right with me that people that we sing that we can single out one sin and make it worse than others. So it's okay to be greedy. In fact, we'll not only endorse that, but encourage it. And it's okay to be selfish and it's okay to um, treat others badly, but it's not all right to be gay. So that's never sat right with me. And I think I kind of got to a place about five years ago where I thought, I know that what I've been told the Bible says is not what it actually says, mm. but I, um, I don't know what the answer is. And eventually that my last essay actually for my MA, I had a, uh, an anti LGBTQ ethics professor and he, uh, and so I thought I've just got to write this essay and actually in researching it, I, it cemented my view that actually this is not something the Bible talks about at all. And actually what the Bible is talking about is pederasty and uh, yeah. abuse of children. And it's, it, Paul again, it comes back yeah. to justice. He's talking yeah. about oppression yeah. of vulnerable yeah. people. Yeah, and so we we took the yeah. uh, decision to become an, an uh, well, I mean, not become an affirming church. I mean, what I found was we had a church full of people who were affirming and didn't have the theology for it. So I had hardly anyone who had an issue yeah. with it when I said this. We lost one or two people, but my heart breaks when I hear the stories of people. Oh from, yeah. Oh, yeah. It and just... I hear them all the time, all the time, because people think to be gay is a sin. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. It's not the same as greed and things. And, you know, well, if we encourage that sin, we go, we, we, we've got to encourage greed. No, because certain things are sinful and certain things are not sinful. Yeah. And, you know, when the Bible doesn't even talk about this issue, actually, yeah. when you look at what it's actually saying in context and to the culture. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just awful. And so not only are yeah, we yeah. Oh, helping man. those on the margin, we're actually marginalising people, which is just terrible. How could the church ever do that? I mean, yeah. the whole story of the people of God is about freedom and liberation. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I mean, I've been in a battle with our denomination. Fortunately, I don't have to fight that fight anymore, but hmm. I can sit at the sideline and drop hand grenades in, which is quite fun. <laughs> but... Um, you know, I, I just said, I said, well, we in 30 years of me doing it, they've never once said to us, you must act in this way until this issue. Unbelievable. And, yeah, same same and, issue for me. Same yeah, and, I, and me. I said, well, okay, that's fine. If you want to have a policy on same-sex marriage, you have to have a policy on divorce. Hmm. And you have to have a policy on contraception. And you have to have a policy on women as leaders because you can't apply one metric to this one issue and then ignore it for others i mean they've said until you can show us mm. where the bible specifically says this is okay we will hold the quote unquote traditional view yeah. so, but 
but where does it say divorces are right and where does it say women's leaders you know i'm, I'm not saying yeah. I, don't, I, I, I don't have an issue with those things in the same way but so you can't you can't just single out one group yeah. of people for persecution like that and claim yeah. it's biblical while not applying that biblical metric to other things I, I know it's absolutely ridiculous i mean i sort, I sort of think it's extraordinary in in some of the churches i know that two loving same-sex people would be banned but me with me you know occasional forays into greed and gluttony absolutely welcomed with open yeah. arms not even yeah. a question mark over that so the one who's actually in sin is welcomed openly yeah. you know because i'm a middle-class man you know and and yeah. the people who are actually not sinning and actually being loving and kind and exhibiting yeah. christ-likeness in every in every way no well, we don't want them coming here it just blows my mind oh. i can't tell I, you how I, thankful i have to be out of that environment <laughs> honestly i think for me the the most amazing thing has been that you see these people who for 20 30 years have just endured so much from the church and yet somehow still love jesus have still been able mm, to yeah, distinguish yeah. jesus from from the church and mm. and honestly i've this a number of times if, if the people in our church who have come through that if all our church were like that southampton would be different mm. if, if yeah. all our church was like they are they are some of the most yeah. loving, generous, yeah. kind, thoughtful, godly, prayerful people I know. Mm. I wish mm. I was like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, work's in progress there. And <laughs> I think what you've done in your book is actually help us and give us a bit more confidence because you're starting to build a theological platform for the things we have hunches about and that we sense yeah. to be true at a very deep and core level. But we're not sure because we might disagree with the theology of the minister. And like they must know theology a lot more yeah. than us, right? So... I, I, I think it's a wonderful book. Where can people get a hold of it if they if they? You want can to? get it from uh, certainly on Amazon, or I think Eden have it, and uh, great all all the kind of normal places where you get books. I think great. Yeah. Well, listen. Thank you so much for it. Thank you for taking time out to be thank with you us. So much for having me. It's been great. No, really appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for all you've said. Bless you, mate. Thank you. All Cheers. Right. Bye now. Well, that was Matt Hyam talking to Joe, and I think the obvious burning question straight away is, um, how on earth were you recording that? I mean, was it like two tin cans with a bit of string between them? Yeah, I do that especially for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Listen, we always have to do it off of Zoom. and It's, it's not always the best, but um, no. the good news is Matt's got a new mic now. <laughs> <laughs> Great. That's really handy. <laughs> Perfect timing. Anyway, no, I mean, the, the, the audio quality, apologies for that, because I don't think it was great audio quality, but the content was really interesting. Yes, it I think. was. And uh, and eye opening at times. I mean that John Piper quote is. I know. Don't as, you love that? Well, sadly, it's it's not unexpected. You know, like oh. when I heard it, I thought, oh yeah, I can imagine you saying that kind of idiocy. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> again, you're practicing your harmony skills. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> well, you know, really. I mean, it's the idea that Jesus was just almost plonked on earth he to, was just, to be punished. That's the only sacrificial point. lamb. That's all Jesus was. Yeah. It's just a waste of 30 years, isn't it? Because you could have got that over with a lot quicker. He would have thought, thought so, wouldn't you? It's not yeah. like he had much to say. No, no. <laughs> so, so that was kind of... Uh, I, and I loved the quote that he gave 
about how you can't find an evangelical statement of faith that anyone before Calvin could have signed. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I mean, you, you would understand this more than most, I imagine. Uh, well, all those early church people, they were all a bit dodgy. You know, <laughs> were they really Christian? Yeah, exactly. Were they? No. We didn't really know what a Christian was till the 15th century, did we? No, no. <laughs> and even then we argued about it. Um, but I, I did I did enjoy it. I thought there were some very interesting uh, bits in that. I loved the idea of um, the gospel as an invitation to experience the life of the age to come yes. right here and now. I think exactly. that's a really powerful idea. Yeah. Um, I suppose so that was great. I suppose I have questions coming out of it. I mean, you know, I really believe that. I really, really understand what Jesus was trying to say. Is look, you can you can live this way here now. I suppose my question is, when you start to realise that Jesus genuinely wasn't talking about life after death, um, heaven as we like to call it, because that's interchangeable. Um, what does it do to that? What does it do to you? Because the truth, the brutal truth is the Bible doesn't say much about life after death. And and even when it does, it's surely it is very pictorial, allegorical, metaphorical language. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the idea of having a new body and I love the idea of literally a new heaven and a new earth. And, you, you know, I can run two hour marathons and all that sort of thing. But yeah, I'm I'm not sure what I think about that anymore. Do you have you got that more sorted in your brain or less sorted? Well, I think we believe sort of different things, don't we? I mean, we've talked about this before. I personally love the idea of you having a new body, and I <laughs> everyone does. Can't wait for that. Uh, and I wouldn't say that Jesus wasn't talking about life after death. I would say that he was talking about life after death and life before death, yeah. and and just life. Yeah, sure. Okay. So I think there are bits that I would think you can interpret clearly about, um, you know, the 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 afterlife, to, for want of a better word. But I think that the, the, so often what we do is we we look at everything in that light, mm. and everything boils down to that. Yes, and we forget exactly. that most of yeah. what he was talking okay. about was in fact the physical life. Now, so I, I, you know, maybe we should revisit the whole heaven thing. And I'd like, thing I'd like us to, episode. and I'd like to talk to someone intelligent about it as well. Thank you. Well, there we go. <laughs> you can't always get what you want. So, yeah. No, as as Saint Mick of Jagger, he did said. say that. Um, struck by his comment about visiting children in India who had nothing and mm. yet had everything. And, and and that was certainly, I think a lot of us have had that very humbling experience yeah. of visiting people who are so much poorer in material terms than we are. And yet you feel like you've had the most enormous privilege of catching a glimpse of their life yes. and their joy. And it's, it's humbling. Um, yeah. Yeah. I should have put a full stop there. Sorry. Well, no, no, it isn't. I've, I've certainly had that experience um, mm. sort of visiting persecuted Christians around the yeah. world, people who have, you know, really hard, tough life and yet who seem to be living at a depth and quality and intensity mm. that uh, I can only sort of um, marvel at, really. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, he, he very casually mentions miracles. Uh, mm. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to labour this. We talked about this, but I have so many questions about that. I mean, you know, one of the things about John Wimber, I remember, was he, he was very casual about about miracles. He absolutely believed in them. He absolutely believed we should pray for them and we should absolutely expect to see them. That is very much a Wimber's philosophy, I think. 
Um, mm. And I really admire him. For, I just have, as you know, so many questions, you know, especially coming from the funeral I've just done. Um, sure. You know, I, I just, yeah, right. I, I don't know what to do with that. But I think it's great to hear from somebody who just talks about that in that way. I think it keeps us open to the whole thing. That's the thing. And certainly, yeah. again, experience talking to persecuted Christians around the world, that, that's something they absolutely believe in, the miraculous mm. intervention. So we talked about this fairly recently. We have. Didn't I? I think the, the key thing is to keep the door ajar, you know, and not to close off, uh, but to keep one's mind open. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Because then if you don't leave the door open, you've put God in a box, haven't you? Yes. You've said God can't yes. do this. And that's always a very dangerous place, I think, to put yourself nonetheless mm. with the miracle door in particular if that is open then i yeah i just have so many questions to do with that about the nature of yeah. god yeah mm. good and then of course uh, we touched on this this you know whole area of the lgbtq community and and just how that has become such a defining issue um mm. for evangelicals uh, and you know, it just makes me so sad. It just makes me so sad. I, I suppose I, you know, personally, um, you know, I, I understand this issue because that is the very issue that kind of got me in trouble with church and was the mm. sort of final straw, really. Um, but I, I, I guess, you know, I feel it's such a shame that the evangelical church and the evangelical alliance even perhaps has, has taken the line it has because it... It's so disruptive to church unity. Well, I think that's the challenge, isn't it? Yeah. Whatever you uh, feel about this, whatever you think about this, that call, which I think came over really powerfully in what Matt was saying, is that discovering the sort of radical unity that mm. Paul talks about. That yeah. we, th we, we don't think, we think that Paul mm. wrote a load of stuff in order to distinguish us from other people. Yeah. You know, and that what yeah, you believe yeah, in Paul exactly. actually, what you believe Paul wrote actually is a way of. Uh, uh, of distinguishing you and he made that point about the creeds yeah. didn't he about how they became ways rather than being about unity they became ways of sort of distinguishing who was in mm. and who was out we do the same thing with bible and we do the same thing with paul's writing mm. whereas paul was absolutely concerned even to the point of quite extreme compromises mm. to keep people together yeah yeah so, so, so to to demonstrate that radical unity and inclusivity yeah I think that's the challenge for us. Yeah. And there's lots of problems and difficulties yeah. and there's lots of, yeah. uh, you know, disagreements and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But I think he made the points really yeah, well. And he I did. think there's lots to think about and, within and, that. And I have to say, on a positive note, you know, where I've seen a brilliant church um, doing that is, is one church in Brighton. And it's interesting. They are this beautiful, inclusive community. It is such a, a radical sign of the kingdom. You know, it mm. really is. And yet the only people who really pour scorn on it are the other churches in the area. Mm. You know, the, mm. the actual community of Brian love it. They absolutely mm. love it. And they have so much respect and they're doing such a great work. So anyway, mm. there you well, go. Uh, lots, lots to ponder on and uh, do write in and let us know what you think of what Matt had to say. Um, use your email machine to write to... Joe at midfaithcrisis.org and do get yourself a copy of the book There Must Be More to This by Matt Hyam. I'll put a link in the um, show notes so that people can yeah. access that. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think that's all for now. I, it's probably enough, isn't it? We'll come back fresh from the weekend next week and we'll have a bit of a feedback episode. 
Yeah, we deliver another batch of online disappointment. <laughs> As always. As always, we're here for you. We if are. you want disappointment, we've got it. <laughs> uh, thank you to everyone who listens. Thank you to everyone who supports the podcast. We're very, very grateful. We are. And uh, we'll be back with you next week. See you next time. Bye.